On today's show, we're going to do a little bit of Monday morning quarterback, talking about their reviews and rewatch from the Minnesota Gophers game. Then we're going to talk about that running back room and finally how the rest of the Big Ten Conference looked and the opponents for Minnesota and how they played this week one. Hey, you no are locked on Golden Gophers. No matter what we're going to do here, we're just going to keep rowing. Your daily podcast on the Minnesota uh, Golden turns out, Gophers. Whatever turns out, we're just going to keep rowing. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. We're just going to keep rowing, keep rowing, and keep rowing. Listening to Locked On Golden Gophers, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. My name is Kane Robb, host of the podcast, former collegiate football video coordinator and recruiting assistant here to talk Golden Gophers with you each and every day of the week, Monday through Friday, and it is Labor Day, so Really, I hope everybody gets some time to have a breather, relax, and be thankful for the day. But we're talking some Gophers football. It's week one. We're going to review not only the Gophers matchup in week one, but what their upcoming opponents did in week one as well. And we got to talk about the running back room. We got to talk about how that's going to look moving forward. So we're diving into all of that and more. Be sure to hit subscribe over on YouTube so you don't miss any of this content moving forward. I'm going to try to get one live show in every week. I know we did one last week. It was fun. It was good to see the questions flowing in naturally. So we're going to try to do one of those every week. So be sure to hit subscribe and hit the notifications button so you can see when we go live for those shows. Now let's jump into the review of the week. I want to know your thoughts below on what you think was the most pivotal play of the game. Was it the toe drag swag touchdown? Was it the interception by Newbin? Was it the punch out by Wally? What was the most critical point for Gophers in week one. But when I was reviewing the tape, we're going to go position by position and talk about the breakdown. So we're going to kick it off with the quarterback, Ethan Kaliak-Manis, who went 24 for 44 for 196 yards, one touchdown and one interception. Now, if you're just looking at the box score, you might be like, oh, that's only like 55% completion, less than 200 yards. Like that's not that impressive. But if you go back and you watch that game, there was a defender in the backfield on probably about 65% of the times that the Gophers quarterback dropped back. That pressure, that defensive line, that 3-3-5 system gave this offensive line a whole hard heck of a time. And you know what? Ethan was feeling the pressure, but he made so many good decisions. He stepped up in the right areas in the pocket. He got out on the roll. He avoided some tackles and got moving, kept his eyes downfield, looked for open gophers in the scramble game, in the scramble drill, so to speak. But sometimes that wasn't pretty. And so he took the time to throw it out of bounds. He made the right decisions on most occasions. He had two turnover worthy plays, one towards the end, right before the toe drag swag touchdown, where he threw it into a very dangerous position that could have been intercepted. And then one where it was just a uh, underthrown ball that could have been a touchdown to Daniel Jackson in the corner of the end zone on a corner route, but it was just underthrown. Those were the two bad passes in this one. But outside of that, Avon Kaliak Manis impressed me overall. He bought good time in in the face of pressure, made some really good play changes at the line of scrimmage, and also was a threat on the ground game. Now, the way that he ran in some of these things, the way that he pulled the ball and took the option on some of these plays is actually what set up that final 11-yard run by Sean Tyler. You could see the defensive end was in the backfield, but he was frozen. He froze for just a hesitant second where he looked to make sure Ethan didn't have the ball, and that is where Sean Tyler hit the hole and was able to get ahead of that uh, defender. So overall, 
his running ability helped this game immensely, even if you don't look at the five or so yards that he had. When he did decide to run, it was critical. Now, some things that Ethan is going to have to improve on as we continue to progress forward is he can't get locked in on one player or predetermine his outcomes at times. There were a couple plays where you could just see because the pressure was coming so quickly that he knew where he was going with the ball and he got it out there right away. Sometimes that was into double coverage. Sometimes that was into a play where someone wasn't ready. And you could see on those certain specific instances that sometimes it was a bit predetermined or locked in. So we've got to clean that up a little bit. Now, on top of that, I personally think there were a couple times where Brevin Spanford was in a one-on-one matchup on the outside with a cornerback, and then as the ball was snapped, the safety would come in to the box, leaving Brevin Spanford one-on-one with a smaller cornerback. I feel like a little bit, I want to see more of noticing that pre-snap advantage as we continue to get more experience under the belt. If he can look out there, recognize there's that one-on-one coverage, and then be eyes on the safety. So that way, when you take that first look, maybe you look at your first route. If it is not wide open and you see that safety is dropped, I'm throwing it up there to the big guy because who is going to jump up there with him? Plain and simple. There's not many in America, if any, that can go up there and win it with him. You give him a high ball, he's probably coming down with that. 85, 90% of the time. So I think maybe noticing some of those single coverage advantages with your best player on the offense and Brevin Spanford could be more beneficial for this offense. And then finally, we just got to rein in some of the balls. There's a little bit of a couple late throws or a couple of throws that had a little bit too much on them. And he called himself on out on that out on that indie presser. He uh, recognized that. He even said that that fourth down touchdown toe drag swag, he could have given him a better ball there. It wasn't a good ball, and he recognizes that. I think Ethan is going to come a long way, but he showed he is a good quarterback for this team. And there were also four bad drops credited, two to Daniel Jackson, one to Brevin Spanford, one to Sean Tyler. You flip those four drops into completions that they should have been because they were easy catches, you're talking about a 64, 65% completion rate in over 200 yards. And that's the game where you're like, oh, this kid's got something. So that's how close it was. That's how critical that QB play was. And I think he did a good job. We move over to the running backs. Not going to touch too much on this because we're going to talk about the running backs in depth in segment two, but we've got to get the young guys involved. Got to incorporate more RB usage in the passing game. There were two passes to Bryce Williams in the running or in the passing game. That were critical, huge first down plays both times. I would love to see these running backs get more and more involved in the passing game and be more of a strength in that area. And then uh, Darius Taylor had one carry. He fought through the muck for a couple extra yardage, and he got three yards on that play. And then also Sean Tyler showed a little bit of wiggle on that final run. So hopefully we can see more of that as it comes. But we'll move to the wide receivers room because that whole second segment, I'm talking about running back. So wide receiver room, Daniel Jackson showed he is the real deal. He made a really impressive play. He had a nearly impressive play just like two plays before that where he almost got a toe down while diving out of bounds. Uh, Great route running, creates separation. Daniel Jackson, we've been telling you in the offseason, is that guy. He is going to be one of the better receivers in this unit. And he probably hasn't got, he's probably gotten the least amount of love from the national media perspective. But Daniel Jackson is now in that conversation after what he did in this matchup. I love to see it. Um, Jackson has to cut out those drops though. There were two 
critical drops, hit him square in the hands, and I think he knows it too. So I'm not too worried about it overall. That hasn't really been a problem in the past. I don't foresee it being a problem in the future. But you pull those two in, and you're talking about an eight-reception game where maybe you're at 100 yards, and it's pretty nutty overall. So Daniel Jackson showed a lot of promise in this game. Crooms had seven receptions on 12 targets. Love to see that. Love to see the connection building up there. Now, with 44 passing attempts in this game, and our best player on the offense, and Brevin Spanford only had eight targets, to me, that's not a winning formula. You got to, the, the OC has to find more ways to scheme plays, touches to Brevin Spanford. And that's not just me saying that. That's not just other Gophers media saying that. You are hearing that in the national broadcast. They got to get Brevin Spanford more manufactured touches. He's the best player on the offense. When he gets the ball in his hands, he is hard to stop. He's running through folks, and he is hard to not give him the ball and again, drops here and there. But as you fight through it, you find ways to get those guys the ball. Look at Dalton Kincaid last year playing against USC for Utah. They had him like 24 targets because they could not stop that man. So if you're throwing the ball 44 times in the game, I feel like he's got to see at least 10, 12 targets because he is one of your best players. If Daniel Jackson's getting 16 out there, which he or deservedly so and played really well with, I don't see why we wouldn't get Brevin Span forward. More mismatches and more manufactured touches. And then the final thing with the wide receivers, Crab clearly wasn't fully cleared. He got that one snap to get the start, but we'll have to keep an eye on how that continues to build. Now we move it to the offensive line. Ursery and Carroll both had high pass blocking grades in this matchup, both plus in that area, but Actually, most of the Gophers O-line was plus in the pass blocking area now, but the run blocking was absolutely terrible. The only run blocking grade above uh, 54, I believe, was Ariante Ursary. Outside of that, all of your other Gophers players were below a 54. Now, the average, if you, if you play one snap, and you just play and you don't give up a sack or anything like that. I believe the average is like a 56. So the fact that everybody was basically below average is pitiful. We have to pick it up there. And I can tell you for a fact that the Gophers will be looking to clean that up. Now, overall, the team run block and grade was a 44, which is not acceptable by any means. They give up 16 pressures, three sacks, countless of QB hits. Even though PFF doesn't credit all those QB hits, if you watch that game, you rewatch it, you were there watching it, Ethan was getting hit left and right. So you got to make sure to protect that quarterback better than what we saw in week one. And then finally, we move to the defense. Justin Wally, Tyler Newbin, both of them were major players. Both of them had game-changing plays. The punch out for the fumble in order to set up a touchdown opportunity. Then you get that toe drag swag touchdown. And then Tyler Newbin comes back and gets an interception to put you in range to win the game in regulation. Those two plays were huge on top of the fact that Tyler Newbin had another interception in this game as well. And that interception was generated from the pressure both internally and outside on that defensive line. Both Devin Eastern and Kyler Bra. Kyler Baugh were huge on that first Newbin interception, gave Jeff, or Jeff Sims so much pressure that he got even hit a little bit as he was throwing that ball. Tyler Newbin comes with the interception. 
Love to see their contributions. We expected big things from those two leaders. Cody Lindenberg being out definitely hurt the team, but the defense still looked rock solid. So I am very impressed with them overall. But then you talk about a lot of newer players, younger players, newer faces to this Gophers defense. Trayvon Jones, nine tackles, one pass breakup, one interception. That was key heading into the half. Maverick Baranowski played really well. Danny Strigout, Tariq Watson, Ja Joyner, Anthony Smith, Jalen Logan Redding, Devin Eastern, all of those players were positive players with the 70-plus grade for the game. That is a ton of young new faces. You're talking about Devin Eastern, Jalen Logan Redding. They both played a little bit in spurts last year, but not a whole lot. Now they're playing heavy snaps, playing positive. Uh, Tariq Watson, Trayvon Jones, Maverick Baranowski, all new faces when it comes to playing heavy minutes. Besides uh, Maverick and Tariq Watson playing in some, some scrap, like late blowout game situations last year, whether it be the bowl game or in the non-conference play, they didn't really get time. This year, Baranowski started in place of Cody Lindenberg. Tariq Watson came in for an injured Justin Wally. Both of them held it down. Absolutely love that. Aiden Goosby is another player who stepped up when called upon. This defense has so much promise. Now, we're going to dive into the week with Eastern Michigan all week. We're going to talk about some of the three and four down linemen fronts that Ethan saw. We'll talk about that later this week. But what I want to do next is talk about that running game and how we are going to address it moving forward because what we did in week one was not good enough. That is what is coming up next. First, I want to talk to you about our friends over at Athletic Brewing Co. Now, Athletic Brewing Co. is bringing you the game changer of the week brought to you by Athletic Brewing Company. Much like Daniel Jackson, Athletic Brewing Company has completely changed the non-alcoholic beer game. They make non-alcoholic beers that actually taste good. Daniel Jackson was this week's game changer of the week. Uh, there were a lot of good options here with Justin Wally and Tyler Newbin, who both made a strong case, but Daniel Jackson, 16 targets, nine receptions, coming back from two bad drops to have the most clutch toe drag swag, fourth and 10 touchdown to tie the game late for Minnesota. He is our game changer this week, and Athletic Brews brings you that game changer, and they are the real deal. Their brews are great tasting and award-winning and beat out full-strength beers in global competition. On top of that, they brew over 50 styles of craft, non-alcoholic beer, including IPAs, golden, sours, and more. You can find Athletic Brewing Company's non-alcoholic brews at a store near you or buy online at athleticbrewing.com. First customers can use a locked on promo code to get 15% off your first online order. That's locked on, L-O-C-K-E-D-O-N at check out 15% off at athleticbrewing.com. Athletic Brewing Company, fit for all times, Athletic Brewing Company and athleticbrewingcompany.com and near beer exclusions and conditions apply. All right, Gophers fans, so let's talk about this what is going to happen with this running game i thank y'all for listening i thank y'all for tapping in and subscribing becoming everydayers thank you to those tapping in this is the go-to place to be when it comes to gophers daily sports so definitely hit subscribe as you come on in but let's talk about the running game and why we shouldn't hit the panic button quite yet now there were no real touches for youth players at this in this game Darius Taylor had one carry. Zach Evans didn't see a single snap. Snap. Now, how come? Why would that happen? That is a big question for Gophers fans at this point in time. And the thing I think I would lean into for understanding that the most is veteran experience, under the bright lights, 
Young players have a tendency to make mistakes because they haven't been in those situations yet. You're on a nationally televised game. One of the first games in the entire country probably has some of the most eyeballs on it when it comes to the game. And you're in some pertinent situations. One score game, it's always down to the wire in this first week. I am guessing that's why we didn't see a lot of Darius Taylor and Zach Evans because sometimes you forget the fundamentals. Sometimes you don't do the little things and you get the ball punched out like Anthony Grant did. Now, Anthony Grant was more of an experienced player, but still you forget some of those things under the brightest lights and under the most tense situations. So you don't want to put your young guys in that type of situation to then have them lose confidence, have them beat themselves up more. You know, you don't want to do that if you can withstand it. So I think that had a lot to do with why these two younger guys did not see any touches in this game. But it has to change moving forward. Now, the interior O-line has to improve or they're going to be replaced, plain and simple, because it is one game. So you can't you can't put too much on it, but there will be time to get more looks, get more reps to see if this group is the unit to get it done especially against a team that doesn't run a 3-3-5 system, doesn't have the complexities, the different looks, the different stunts, the different blitz packages that they bring. But none of these three interior players were inspiring with their play in the slightest. Not only that, but the interior play is pertinent for the run game. And if you if we wouldn't have had a running a quarterback who can get on the move and can get scrambling, can look down the field while moving outside, if we didn't have a quarterback with that skill set, we would have had six, maybe seven, maybe more sacks in this game. So we have to clean it up. Now, how I view the running back room right now in this moment, Bryce Williams, absolutely love him. He's been a staple for this running back room. He's a veteran. He brings lots of experience. He does what's asked of him. But I love the grit that he brings with him, but I don't think that he is a every down back. He is not a feature back. He's probably not an RB1, RB2 to run into every single game. But I believe he's great at being a spell back, doing whatever is asked of him and putting in consistent work in certain areas, especially you saw those two receptions in this game. So I think he'll have a role within this offense, but I don't think he should be one of the top two running backs that are getting most of the carries like we saw in this game one. It just, there wasn't enough explosiveness, enough wiggle, enough difference-making ability to have him warrant that role right now. Now, Sean Tyler, he brings a lot of speed, but if you get your hands on him, he is likely coming down at five foot nine, 190 pounds. And those numbers could be generous, folks. Just look at Mo Ibrahim's measurables, what he was listed at with the Gophers, and then you look at his combine actual tested measurables. They they fudged the numbers. I'm not gonna lie to you. They did it. So Overall, he could be even smaller than that. In the Big Ten, I think Sean Tyler would be an awesome running back two in a committee, garnering maybe 15 to 18 attempts to have that breakaway speed. But he can be a liability maybe in the pass blocking game a little bit, having that smaller stature. And I think if you pair him with a complimentary back, a bruiser, someone who can take that contact and keep moving the piles, I think they could be a nice one-two punch. So that's what I'm kind of looking for is who steps into that type of role. Is it more of Zach Evans? Is it more Darius Taylor? What are we going to see there? And that's how I think this thing will start to shake out. Now, Zach Evans is similar to Sean Tyler, in my opinion, when it comes to more of an east-west rusher 
as opposed to a north-south guy, but he might not be as fast as Sean Tyler, but I believe he's more shifty, more elusive, and he can get to that second gear fast. So he's got a little bit more wiggle to make defenders miss. I was kind of surprised we didn't see a single snap from him in this game. That likely changes in at least three of these next four matchups with Eastern Michigan, with uh, Louisiana with Northwestern. We'll see how it shakes out for that North Carolina game, but overall it is something to monitor. Now, Darius Taylor is the last of the four. He saw four total snaps, one carry for three yards. He is the only real power runner in this group, in my opinion. Honestly, if Darius Taylor can make sure to be error-free away from the running, I think he will go on to lead this room in attempts when it's all said and done this year. That means you have to be solid in the pass blocking, solid in running the right routes in, in the opportunities where you do have to run routes, being in the right position and the right uh, motions and all of that. You have to have that down packed, no mistakes whatsoever. If you can't be trusted in those areas, you won't get on the field and get opportunities in Big Ten games, in national games like that UNC game could likely be. But if he is shirt up in those areas, I think it will be hard to keep him off the field. I expect Eastern Michigan is going to be the game where we start to see better of what this running back room really will look like, as opposed to a total of 17 attempts in one game. Now, if Evans doesn't see at least eight touches, Darius Taylor may be in that eight to 12 touches in the Eastern Michigan game, then I would start to assume that maybe they might not get a lot of run in this upcoming season. And beyond the Louisiana game in week five, that's when you get into Big Ten play with your Michigans, your Iowas, your Wisconsin's, your Illinois, your Purdue's. Those defenses are going to be gritty like we're used to seeing, like this Nebraska team. So if they can't start to shore it up and get these guys touches and figure out this room quickly, it's going to be hard to imagine that we'll see a lot of them moving forward. Now, I highly doubt that that would be the case because you could start pushing the thought of transfers and guys wanting to go play and things like that. And I think that would be detrimental to this Gophers team, knowing that both Sean Tyler and Bryce Williams are done with their eligibility after the season. So at least one of these two players will likely see their snaps tick up and be heavily featured in this room. At least one of the two. And it probably starts in this non-conference MAC opponent in week two against Eastern Michigan. And we'll be talking about it all week here at Locked On Golden Gophers. Now to wrap up the show, we're going to talk about Big Ten observations, what happened across the conference, as well as the upcoming opponents for the Gophers and how they did in week one. That is what's coming up next. First, I got to talk to you about our friends over at FanDuel. You got to get ready for the season when the NFL season is about to be underway. You should do that over at FanDuel, America's number one sportsbook. Right now, new customers get, if you bet $5, you will get $200 in bonus bets guaranteed. Plus, all customers who bet $5 will get $100 off NFL Sunday ticket from YouTube and YouTube TV. So now's the best time to join FanDuel. It's that super simple, easy app to use, and you can bet on everything from spreads to player props to points and more. So visit FanDuel.com slash locked on and kick off the NFL season with an offer you won't want to miss over at FanDuel. All right, let's wrap this one up with Big Ten observations. It is week one, so again, none of this is conclusive. Everything is still ever-changing. We're still learning about these teams. I still need to see more from every single team before I have a feel one way or another on how these team seasons could go. 
But that being said, you look at the Iowa game. Iowa's offense had some success early. They got the ball moving. They scored touchdown on their opening drive. You love to see it. But then it started to taper off. They only scored 24 points in that game after scoring on their first two drives. So it definitely slowed down a bit. Uh, curious to see if that is going to continue to be the case where it's like, the offense is more consistent than what we've seen, but still not a high-powered offense. So we'll see how, how big that plays in over the next few weeks. I think they've got Iowa State coming up here soon, so that should be a big matchup, a big test for them. Then you've got Wisconsin. Now, Wisconsin's passing game still has to get comfortable. It absolutely wasn't in this Buffalo game, and I wasn't impressed with the passing game very much whatsoever. Now, we knew that they would be able to run the ball with Braylon Allen, but Ches Malusi did impress me a little bit in this matchup. Now, again, it was a Mac opponent. Uh, the Mac opponent was in it for a, the vast majority of the first half. They were giving them, giving them a run for their money. But then, again, as you'd expect, in that second half, Wisconsin pulled away. So there's not a whole lot to talk about on that one. They play Washington State next. Washington State, who beat them last year, Washington State, who has Cam Ward at quarterback. That will be a matchup where I will be very intrigued. Both of those teams, for me, because we do our locked on uh, rankings, our poll, I think both of those teams are outside the top 25 for me. But if they can convincingly win in that one, then I'll put, give them respect where respect is due, and I'll put them in that top 25. You move on to Illinois. Daquan Finn is a good quarterback, and he played for Toledo. They kind of did what they wanted to through the air against Illinois. And just like Minnesota losing Ibrahim, Illinois lost Brown, and their run game just isn't anything like it was last year. So Illinois is a team that I'm kind of curious on. I had them as a 9-3 and team for my predictions for the season, but that game they had against Toledo <clears throat> wasn't very inspiring overall. So we'll see what happens. I think they're still gelling. They're still getting used to it, especially that secondary unit. So we'll have to keep an eye on them for the next couple of weeks. Now, the surprise games for me this week, uh, the surprises in general in the Big Ten, Ohio State only beating Indiana 23-3. to now, that wasn't as convincing as most people would imagine. I had them as third in the East this year, and that gap may have increased in week one because I think Penn State showed, especially in that second half, that they're the real deal. And Michigan laid it on the gas from the get-go without their head coach, without their OC, still put up 30 points easy. So I think Michigan is the real deal. I think Penn State has making themselves known Ohio State still got a lot of kinks to work out. So they may be not as big, not as much of a powerhouse as we're used to seeing. We'll have to see that coming up in the next few weeks. The Notre Dame game will be huge and will show us kind of where they truly lie. Now, beyond that, like I said, Ches Malusi, I knew he was a rock-solid RB2, but he's got vision, he's got breakaway, and I think he can be a solid running back at any capacity if he stays healthy. So he kind of impressed me in this week's games. Now, the biggest win, in my opinion, was probably the Rutgers beating Northwestern handily 24-7 to and that 7 not coming until the final two minutes of the game. I think Rutgers really showed that they are getting things together. They're clicking. Their quarterback looked better than we've seen him before, more decisive. The numbers might not show him being some sort of stud, but maybe Rutgers can find themselves into the bowl game conversation if they can continue to put things together like they did this past week. 
The biggest upset loss was Purdue losing to Fresno State in a close one. That Purdue secondary is very raw, and there were communication issues between them throughout the entire game. That being said, they showed that they can put up some points. They showed they have some playmakers like Brown out there on the wide receiver room. Hudson Card was slinging the ball over and taking care of it. So I think overall, they could steal one or two big games this season, even with this upset loss. Now, lastly, let's talk about Minnesota's opponents in the next couple games and how they did. We'll look at Eastern Michigan, UNC, Northwestern, and Louisiana, the next four opponents and how they did. So first, we've got Eastern Michigan. They won their week one game against Howard, which is an FCS school. They won 33 to 23. Now, nothing was convincing against an FCS school in this matchup. It was a one score game down to the about four minutes left in the fourth quarter when uh, Eastern Michigan put up an extra field goal to make it a two score game. Eastern Michigan didn't really impress me. Their top two running backs, which were their offense last year, didn't do anything to separate themselves in this game one. So I think the Gophers should come in handily and really be able to assert their dominance assert some scoring and put this offensive mishaps together in week two unc the week three opponent they won their week one matchup on college game days featured game of the week they won 31 to 17 versus south carolina now the scoreboard looks nice i'm not gonna lie to you but nothing in that week one matchup made me think this will be a runaway by any means i still think minnesota will be in that game especially when you're talking about a south carolina defense that was 98th in total defense last year in the country 47th or 48th in passing. So it's not like they were built to stop this type of offense, whereas the Gophers last year were 7th in total defense and like 14th in passing. So the defense for the Gophers is much more improved, much better than what South Carolina puts out there on the field. Now you look at Drake May and he put the ball in some dangerous places. He even had two interceptions in the game. I think that is encouraging for Gophers fans as we get to it. But the offense has to work out its problems in this week two match up and get things back on track otherwise it could be a very very complicated matchup in week three so you got to put some things together get some confidence get those juices going so then week three can be one heck of a battle you move on to northwestern lost 24 to 7 versus Rutgers. the defense didn't give up any plays over 20 yards but they got carved up by Rutgers. the offense leaves little to no upside to be desired so northwestern i'm not really worried about overall then finally, you've got Louisiana. They won their game 38-13 against Northwestern State. Again, an FCS opponent. The QB, at, the QB showed some promise against this FCF school, but I'll be curious to see how they look against their next few opponents, a Buffalo that just took on Wisconsin, Old Dominion that just took on Virginia Tech. So they're playing some schools that maybe can give them a run and we'll get a better view of Louisiana. That's going to do it for us on today's show. This week, we're going to dive into Eastern Michigan all week. So I will start that again starting tomorrow. I look forward to it. Row the boat, Scotty, Michael Wolfers. And as always, don't forget to subscribe.